Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and moms around the world. Hi, everyone. I am almost 36 weeks pregnant with baby girl number two, and it is summertime. It's about 100 degrees in Los Angeles right now. I am recording this intro in the garage. I'm going to make it quick because I I think it might be a health hazard. Uh, (laughs) I recently posted a profile shot of my baby bump, and it's on our Atomic Moms Instagram. And I asked you mama listeners for advice about staying cool and how to keep our kids entertained this summer. And here's a little bit of what y'all suggested. Okay, board games, yard time, movies. This is a great one. A gym membership with child watch. (laughs) Extra high five for that. A mom recommended the What's Up Moms video about the DIY outdoor water sensory table. I'm going to check that out. A listener recently did a two-day staycation at a local hotel with a pool. Love that idea. Uh, One mom wrote, all the sprinklers. Another mom wrote, rosé. I love Atomic Mamas. Okay, cooling towels, which I'm going to check out on Amazon. And uh, another mom suggested playdates with friends that they usually don't have enough time to see. And one atomic mama out there, we all got to give a high five to. She's almost 34 weeks pregnant, and she says she's just dying in the Texas heat. So we're all sending cooling vibes to you. Um, Also, I want to give props to my own mother who gave birth to me in Texas, although that was April. So good job on the timing there, mom, (laughs) because, oh, boy, July and August in Texas, there's nothing like it. Uh, September in Los Angeles is is like a – it's pretty close, but nothing compares to that humidity. I love that this just became like a weather podcast. <laughs> Today we are talking to probably one of the most famous pediatricians on the planet, Dr. Harvey Karp. He has lots of books, but today we're going to be talking to him about his international bestseller, The Happiest Baby on the Block, The New Way to Calm Crying and Help Your Newborn Baby Sleep Longer. So moms, if you are concerned that your baby has colic, go check out this book and see what Dr. Karp has to say about it. He says it often relates to poor self-calming ability. Um, so usually it's poor self-calming ability or a challenging temperament. And uh, that's like me. Just like your podcast host, I am – guys, whew, y'all, I'm, I'm pretty colicky these days. So check that out. Here's the first part of a very extensive bio. Dr. Harvey Karp is one of America's most trusted pediatricians and child development experts. He is on the faculty of the USC School of Medicine and fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Karp practiced pediatrics in Los Angeles for over 25 years. His landmark discoveries and unique ability to translate complex science into effective techniques to empower parents have revolutionized our understanding of the needs of young children. He is the founder and CEO of Happiest Baby, a smart tech and parenting solutions company. So in this interview today with Atomic Moms, we tackle new parent sleep or lack of uh, postpartum depression and anxiety and prevention for that and the magical five S's. We also talk about this cutting edge device he recently came up with called the Snoo. And I'm sensitive to the fact that it's got a high price point. Um, that will make it out of reach for many new moms. Um, and, and we do discuss that. And oh, some of these mom critics out there, they're like, 
we should have to rock our babies all the time ourselves or we aren't properly bonding. And to those mom bloggers, I'd say, I am so cool if that's your thing. But it feels weird and judgy to me to read it and for you to tell me what's best for my family or what's best for me because we're all so different and all of us respond to sleep deprivation differently and isolation island of new motherhood differently. And um, I'll be honest, I love shortcuts. I am also best at bonding with my child when I'm not sleep deprived and acting like an insane person. Uh, So that's me and I'm speaking for myself. I'm also starting up the newsletter again. Some of you have been getting them the past few weeks. So go to AtomicMoms.com to sign up because in next week's, I'm going to be sharing a little bit of the parenting advice that I gleaned from reading The Happiest Baby on the Block that I wish I had known when Sabrina was born and that we didn't get to in the episode. So don't forget also to subscribe on iTunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Leave a review. It helps moms find us. You know, you know, I share it every time. And uh, what else? Oh. Next week's July 4th. We're taking off. So join us on social media because I'm going to miss you guys. We will be right back with my interview with Dr. Harvey Karp. In the next 40 minutes, we are going to coax as much as we can out of you, Dr. Karp. Um, So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's good talking with you, Ellie. Thanks so much for inviting me. So I was reading about your latest invention in Wired Magazine last night, and we're going to get to the snoo, everybody, especially all the moms in Los Angeles are talking about the snoo. (laughs) But first, I thought we might share a little bit about the methodology behind the snoo, which is what the five S's are, as outlined in your Mm -hmm. book, The Happiest Baby on the Block. The key concept really is that in a kind of an odd sort of a way, babies are born before they're really ready for the world. Like a baby horse or a baby cow, they can stand up on the first day and even run on the first day. And they need to be able to do that to survive, right? I mean, otherwise they can be eaten by predators. Um, Our babies um, are very immature by comparison. um, And we survive not by being having big, strong bodies, but we survive by having big, smart brains. And in fact, the head of a baby is about as big as it can be and still sneak out. And uh, and that's a challenge at the end there and then at the end of the nine months anyway. So our babies are born with really big heads and kind of puny bodies. And then they spend the next three or four months just kind of starting to get their, their strength and their ability to respond to the world around them, get organized. So the concept is that we deliver our babies three or four months before they're ready for the world. And so you spend those first three or four months being one big walking uterus, holding them, rocking them, feeding them, and, um, and responding to their needs, uh, whether they're awake or asleep, because we all know that even a sleeping baby loves to be rocked and shushed, and it's a very soothing and calming experience for them. So when, when I had a postpartum doula after Sabrina, thank goodness, because I didn't know how to do anything, the first thing she did was hand me your DVD of Happiest Baby on the Block. And everyone <laughs> needs to watch this video. And actually, you probably saved me and my mother so many fights because watching that video together, we were both on the same page about swaddling and everything because I had mentioned it before mm-hmm. and my, my grandmother had said, you know, swaddling is like, you know, it looks like a straight jacket or, you know, these ideas of even like, well, when you were a baby, there were blankets in your crib. 
<laughs> just all that stuff that new moms are coming up against now with our with generations past. And so that video was so, so helpful. First, I'm wondering where can moms find that video? And also, I want to encourage everyone to also read the book, obviously. No, I so appreciate that. Thank you so much. And actually, guys, it's been so interesting because men, you know, like I like to joke, men are terrible at breastfeeding, but we're very, very good at baby calming. So good. Once you learn the, the the five S's, um, as shown on the on the that video or, or in the book, um, guys are really really good at the swaddling and the and the other techniques. So um, and I agree with you. The book I think it's a good book. I like the book very much. It has a lot of information. But to really learn the techniques, it's best to watch it. And and as you did, I'm so glad you did that to share it with other caregivers like your like your mom or anyone else who's helping you. And so the concept of that, I mentioned the fourth trimester. So if a baby's born three months too soon, that means your job when you're when you have a new baby is to imitate the uterus. So then you need to know, well, what's it like inside the uterus? And it turns out it's a symphony of sensations. The sound is louder than a vacuum cleaner, 24-7, the whooshing of the blood. The, uh, there's constant motion. Imagine when you're walking or imagine if you're hustling up the stairs or in an exercise class. And even when you're sleeping, you're constantly, your diaphragm is moving up and down. You're constantly um, uh, uh, kind of bouncing your baby up and down in these gradual little waves of motion that are generated by the diaphragm. And then your baby is constantly held in a very, very snug position. They can barely move a half an inch or an inch with their arms and stuff like that. So when you understand that, you understand more what the world was like for your baby before birth and how you want to imitate that. But it turns out that this is, and this was really the secret or the, or the real breakthrough in happiest baby is, is the recognition that it isn't just that babies like motion or like sound. It turns out that the right type of sound and motion flip a switch, they trigger a reflex. And it turns out since babies are born early and, and, and they can barely get their brains out as is, you have to leave out some things from the baby's brain when they're born. Like you leave out their coordination ability, right? They can't walk. They can't even sit up yet. You leave out um, their ability to talk and to think and to reason. And, And what you have to put in in its place is you have to pack in things that we call reflexes or automatic behaviors. So for example, there's a suck reflex and a swallow reflex. You don't teach a baby how to suck and swallow. They're born with that built-in software and um, a startle reflex and blink reflex. And it turns out that all of those things are necessary for survival. But what wasn't known is that they also have a calming reflex. And when you imitate the sensory experiences of the womb, you can oftentimes take a baby from screaming and, and frustration into calm, oftentimes in seconds which sounds, you know, amazing or even improbable. Um, but then think about when you hit a knee and then the foot jumps out. What, what sense is that? It's kind of odd, right? You hit the knee in, in one direction and your foot jumps out in the other direction. <laughs> it's quite unusual, but that's the way the, the body is built. And so what was the real breakthrough is that when you do imitate the womb in five specific ways, that's what I call the five S's, which are swaddling, which is snug wrapping with the arms down, uh, the side or stomach position for calming a crying baby. You never do that for sleep, only the back for sleep, but side or stomach is good for crying. Shushing or white noise, 
swinging or rhythmic motion, and sucking is the fifth S. And when you layer those on, and every baby needs a little bit different combination of those, um, that's when the magic happens. And you can help babies calm much more quickly, even colicky babies, and you can help babies sleep longer at night. When I was reading your new edition of this book, I was... (laughs) I was laughing about how you basically give like type A people a pat on the back because this idea that there is a particular precise way that your baby would like to have this done and that we shouldn't sort of give up if, you know, if the swaddling – because by the way, we all know swaddling can be really – frustrating. At first at the hospital, it's like these big, thick blankets. And like Sabrina, my first child, would just like kick her way out of everything. Um, I think I bought every swaddle on the market. I mean, at one point I had to like Velcro part of it. I mean, it got extreme, but it would work. But she was so, Mm -hmm. as you say in your book, passionate. Their little personalities that start to develop so young. And I'm like, you know what? Sabrina now is so much like Sabrina then, which is like a little giggle boss, super happy, um, but very particular and mm-hmm. very, very physical and active. So she would just do these like leg lifts all night in her swaddle <laughs> on the crib. Mm-hmm. But, but I love that you could notice that and you could observe that even in those very early days and weeks. Yeah. I want to ask you about... Uh, temperament, because I love what you say. Um, you write that 50% of our personality traits are genetic hand-me-downs from our parents. So it's no surprise that shy parents tend to have shy kids and passionate parents often give birth to little chili peppers. And I think mm-hmm. that if we could acknowledge that as mothers, there would be so much less judgment in our little world. And also, I think it would really, really help with some of the postpartum depression and anxiety because – I know that a lot of those thoughts that creep in can be like, well, why, why is that woman's baby so chill? Like, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think we we judge ourselves or should, I like the term, you should on yourself, you know, S-H-O-U-T on yourself. <laughs> you should do it this way. You should do it that way. Um, but um, that's an interesting thing that a lot of parents don't, they're not clued into, but I think it's so much fun to be able to observe what your baby's temperament is from the very beginning and then to follow through as they're growing up and see how that evolves over time and to help you recognize the fact that a quality of temperament, which may be so difficult in the beginning, like tenacity, you know, a tenacious child who just doesn't give up and fights you and fights you and fights you. Oh, and that's man. Almost, you know, I'm living it. There you go. But it's, it can be so, so wonderful later on when they, when they hold on to their beliefs and they don't let people push them around and they stand up for themselves and all sorts of things that we value then, but that can be challenging. So that's the concept of reframing it. So you can see, okay, this is a challenge now, but I'm going to really like this later on in life when she's not going to let that boyfriend of her tell her that she's fat or ugly or whatever, and you know, or that she doesn't know what she's talking about and she's going to stand up for herself. Exactly. Um, I guess at summer camp yesterday, uh, the little camp director <laughs> told me this morning that they were all talking about what, you know, about being superheroes someday. And so I was like, I, I really hope I can get flying down. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, my child, please stay on the Maybe ground, Sabrina. <laughs> please stay on the ground. Um, that's cute. But, um, but I do want to say one, one, sorry, one last thing about swaddling before yeah. we go off that subject too far, which is that. There are right ways and effective ways to swallow and ineffective ways. 
And um, actually, we just released what I think is the best swaddle blanket that's ever been made. Right now, it's only available um, with SNU. Um, I mean, you can buy it. it. It's used with SNU, but people who don't have SNU can buy it as well. But it, we call it the five-second swaddle because literally in five seconds, you can put them in and zip it up, and it won't unravel. Their arms don't pop out. It's hip safe. It's vented so they don't get overheating. And um, and it just um, takes the whole complexity, the origami of swaddling, and turns it into the easiest kind of thing for anyone to do. So we're super excited about that because swaddling is the cornerstone. Even when babies, a lot of babies fight swaddling when you do it, and the moms think, oh, my God, my baby doesn't like swaddling. But actually, your baby doesn't get a vote in the beginning. They don't know what's best for themselves because when you let their arms out, they don't have good control over the arms, and they can startle or hit Mm -hmm. themselves in the face or turn themselves over. So swaddling is really key for all babies for really the first four months or so. And so this swaddle blanket, the, the, um, the, um, our new snoo sack is the easiest and safest that's, that's ever been made. But if you use a regular swaddle blanket and those are fine too, to use, um, you do need to learn the technique that works the best, which which I call the doo-doo wrap. I, I describe it on the video, like you're saying. And we now, we used to have DVDs. Everyone was what would watch DVDs. Yeah, that's but now what I watched. Streaming video. Yeah, and, and a lot of people now don't even have DVD players. So <laughs> on, our web, on our website, which is happiestbaby.com, um, we have a streaming video. So people can watch that on their telephone or, or on their computer at home. So let's talk about the snoo for a moment. Mm-hmm. You've been working on this for oh, three years is that right? Yeah, a little bit more, a little bit more. And what? Uh, how can you describe it to our listeners? And what was your biggest challenge in inventing it? So, so the so what's new is is really on the one hand you might think of it as the fourth trimester, as you're putting your baby back into the womb where they're rocked and they're shushed, and they get the sleep cues that they are expecting. That, that, that they've come, uh, become accustomed to expect in the womb. Um, oftentimes we say, you know, everyone be quiet, tiptoe the baby's sleeping. We would want to sleep in a quiet room <clears throat> in a flat, still bed. But it turns out that that's the, the most abnormal thing for babies. Um, and they don't sleep well in a flat bed in a quiet room by themselves. Um, it turns out all of us have sleep cues, right? I mean, most of us like pillows and beds and maybe a special type of pillow or special sheets, or you're like the, your feet tucked in, or you're like your feet tucked out. Or the, That's a big uh, problem in our out. marriage, Dr. Carp. Uh, <laughs> no, you get into these fights. Because I like my sheets tucked in, and my husband <laughs> wants his feet out, and he hates a top sheet. He just wants the comforter. Yeah. So can you make me a, you a think- mommy snoo? I just want to be in my own little pod, Dr. Carp. <laughs> I know. I know so many people have asked for an adult snoo to help them sleep. <laughs> but um, but in all seriousness, if if I were to to um, to take everything away from you and make you sleep on the floor on a carpet, um, you would sleep, but you wouldn't sleep well, right? You'd have mm-hmm. interrupted sleep. Um, and so you have sleep cues that you're used to, and you just make sure everywhere you go, you have the right sleep cues. Like when you go to a hotel, you probably only go to hotels that have beds and pillows because that's what you've gotten used to. Whereas other people in the world might be perfectly happy and content to go to a sleep in a place where they slept on the floor because they're used to sleeping on a, on a carpet on the floor. So, so same thing with babies. They are used to having certain cues, which are sound motion and being snugly held. 
And so why not give that to them? Why make them go cold turkey and sleep in a sensory deprived environment? Doesn't make any sense. Um, and so that's what snoo does. It gives them rocking and sound and snug holding that keeps them um, comforted all night long. And, um, and then when they get upset, when they cry, it has microphones that detect when the baby's crying. And then the bed will rock faster and kind of in a more jiggly fashion. And the sound will become louder and more high pitched. And it goes up four different levels, imitating you, imitating what you would do. If the baby is in your arms, you're going to rock your baby slowly with these broad strokes and shush quietly in a murmuring kind of a shush. But if the baby gets upset, you're going to start jiggling a little bit more and shushing a little louder and then go up even more jiggly and louder, you know, another two or three steps until you finally go, you know, this is not working. My baby must be hungry. And then you stop everything you feed your baby. So what Snoo is able to do, it detects when the baby cries and it responds just like your own personal night nurse or grandma um, that is there to help you 24 seven, um, to take care of the baby when you're with your older kids or when you're taking a shower or when you want to sleep a little bit longer, the bed is there to respond and to, and to help care for the baby. And it's not a magic bed. The baby's not going to sleep eight hours all of a sudden, but it will give an extra half hour of sleep here and there so that by the, through the night, you'll end up getting an extra hour or even sometimes two hours of extra sleep wow. just because the bed is helping rock the baby and keep the baby in that calmer, um, gentler um, kind of uh, frame of mind. What was the biggest challenge in creating it? Um, you know, actually, the biggest challenge was um, there are things that move babies back and forth. So um, swings and rock and plays and things like that. Um, but they're built to go back and forth maybe 100,000, 200,000 times, and you use it an hour a day or maybe a couple of hours a day for you know weeks or months. Um, but to rock a baby and to be able to move slowly back and forth or fast, tiny jiggles are two different, very different requirements of a, mach of a machine or a motor to do that. And, um, and when you do that 10, 12, 14 hours a day, which is how long a baby sleeps. And you do that for month after month for one baby, for the next baby, because we want this to be for not just people with one baby, but to be able to use it with the next baby as well. Um, that required us to not have a, a motor that can go back and forth a hundred thousand times, but we test to 15 million cycles. Um, so that it turns out to be very difficult to, to engineer. And that took us a year and a half to be able to figure that out. Um, and you had and help so from like MIT. Fun. Yeah, we work with MIT trained engineers, um, also the leading designer in America. And so we had we had brilliant engineers working with us to be able to to solve all the problems that were required to build this bed. Um, so cool. And um, and it's an interesting thing because the, the bed costs eleven hundred dollars, which is quite expensive for a baby bed. But it's actually not expensive at all for um, for a bed, a beautiful designer a baby bed, the most sophisticated white noise machine that's ever been made uh, uh, that's responsive to the baby's need, the safest swing because now uh, it's it's not allowed for babies to sleep sitting up in swings and and rock and plays and things like that because they've been disrelated to the baby's head moving forward and they can't breathe as well as having a kind of peace of mind to know that 
when the baby is in the sleep sack, it attaches to the bed so they can't roll over. So no longer would do parents have that middle of the night panic that, oh my God, is my baby okay? Is my baby in the safe position? Mm -hmm. um, or with swaddling now, now parents are told you have to stop swaddling when the baby can roll over because we don't want babies on the stomach swaddle, which is absolutely correct. But, um, but the hard thing is if you stop swaddling your baby at two or three months when they start rolling over, then they wake up more, they cry more, and they roll over even more and yeah. more easily. And so Snoo allows you to swaddle the baby and keep them in that safe position all night long for the first six months. And then most importantly, it's really not a product even. It's a service. Like I said, it's your own, it's kind of like your own grandmother or night nurse that's there whenever you need the help 24-7 to be able to rock your baby. So it turns out $1,100 turns out to be about $6 a day. And if you use it with your second baby or sell it when you're done, that turns out to be about $3 a day for the first six months. And, and what's funny about that is that you're going to spend $3 a day just on coffee to stay awake with your baby, <laughs> you know, um, when, they're, when they're in those first months. And so for the same price, you can buy the safest, most effective baby bed that's ever been made, get extra sleep for yourself and get peace of mind that the baby stays safe. Um, all for the same price. So we kind of think of it as being, you know, being a, a bargain for mm -hmm. families. And I have to say one more thing about this, which is that most people don't have a nanny or a night nurse helping them or even their grandmother helping them. Um, it's kind of a luxury um, most people can't afford. Um, but here's the interesting thing. Up until 100 years ago and throughout human history, every mother had five nannies and five night nurses. But we didn't call them that. We called them grandma. We called them auntie. We called them my older sister or my next door neighbor's older daughter. You had lots of people to help you with your baby. And today, parents don't have that help. They don't even think they deserve the help. That's the amazing thing. Parents right. in our culture think you're just supposed to suck it up and deal with it. But that's what leads to postpartum depression. And that is what leads to feeling overwhelmed because you get into sleep deprivation that's so profound that it's dangerous for you and dangerous for your baby. And it's the number one trigger for postpartum depression, um, um, which occurs in half a million to a million new mothers every single year. So we actually have had already, just in this few months that we've been, been selling snooze, we've had many reports uh, by mothers saying, oh my God, this is the one thing that helped me with my postpartum depression. And we're doing studies at the University of Michigan and the University of California, San Diego, and University of Amsterdam to demonstrate that we can not only treat women with postpartum depression, reduce their depression uh, without the need of medication, but even to prevent postpartum depression before it occurs. Hey, and sign me up for that study, Doctor Carp. <laughs> send me. Well, you're going to use this. Send me to Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. Okay. With, and and I'll have, give birth over there. Did you have any depression? Did uh, you have any depression with the first time around? I had a lot of postpartum anxiety, um, and yeah. I wouldn't say it was postpartum depression because it wasn't intense enough for medication. Um, but mm -hmm. I definitely, when I went to the OBGYN, I had, I did that quiz they give you and I kind of uh -huh. like even you know fibbed a little bit on the quiz and pretended like uh -huh. I was a little better off than I was Things were better and and she still said like you're on the cusp um and that's yeah. for me I am so so sensitive to sleep deprivation mm -hmm. um, as my listeners know like yeah. if I get less than six hours of sleep um it used to be eight uh I would just cry like all day everything feels terrible like it, I have such a 
physiological response. Um, it doesn't matter how yeah. sunny it is. I can know that everything is good. Um, and it does not matter. Um, if I don't sleep, mm-hmm. I feel terrible and I feel depressed. And also I love your point about how it takes a village. And so many of us are so isolated. And then the tricky part is when you get isolated or depressed and anxious, you end up closing yourself off even more from the world. So even if you do have amazing girlfriends that offer to come over and help and support you, like you're already in that hole where it's hard to to accept the help because, you know, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm at my best. Yeah. So that all of this has been, you know, is super helpful. Ellie, you're a thousand, a thousand, a thousand percent right in everything you're saying about that. And you get into this cycle then about feeling bad about yourself, not feeling that you're deserving of that help or deserving of even, you know, burdening people with what's going on with you. And 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 what's also so incredibly right of what you said is that for many women, they think of depression as being sadness. But for many, many women who have postpartum, we really call it postpartum mood disorder because anxiety, compulsive thinking, obsessing over things, not even being able to fall asleep because I have to fall asleep. I have to fall asleep. I can't fall asleep. I have to fall asleep. And it just leads into these terrible cycles. Oh, and I would think about SIDS all the time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You, You perseverate on things. And so for many, many women, it has nothing to do with tearfulness and sadness. It has to do with a brain that you can't turn off and anxiety. And I'm so glad you made that point because um, a lot of women go through that and they think, well, I don't, I'm not depressed. Well, you do have postpartum mood disorder and you, you can get help and should get help. Mm-hmm. Um, you're deserving of that. Um, it, but it's not the typical symptoms that they, that they think are supposed to be associated with it. Right. And that's what's tricky. And then when friends do come over, it feels great. But then you're so exhausted afterwards that that's hard, too. So it's so I can't wait for the next few months. And you feel like you have to put it on a little bit. You feel like you have to entertain them and you have to be happy and nice. And it's hard to really share because everyone says, oh, you must be so happy. It's the most wonderful experience that can ever happen. And if you're not sharing that, you feel like you're the weirdo and that, you know, you're ungrateful. You're not a good mother. Exactly. Very tough. And actually, I want, I want to tell you one more thing that's very surprising about this um, early, early period of, uh, and sleep deprivation, which is we all know we've all had the experience of, of being so tired that you had to fight sleep as you're driving or some people have even fallen asleep driving or fall asleep when you get to a red light or something like that. Um, that's what happens with sleep deprivation. And in fact, exhaustion causes as many serious car accidents as drunk driving. Um, now, the Highway Safety Commission did a study showing that if you get one night of six hours of sleep, it doubles your risk of serious car accident. And that's a solid six hours. Imagine with new moms, when you're really getting two hours here and there or one hour and a half here and there, it's not even solid sleep. And so, and then you've got a baby crying that, in the backseat of the car, and then you might have a toddler mm-hmm. who's yelling at you. <laughs> yeah. You get stressed to the max. Yeah. And so um, the reason I'm telling you this gets to do with an issue about bed sharing. And I don't know, have you had have you had um, programs about bed sharing um, yes. yet on your podcast? I have. And, and what do you talk about about that? What's your opinion of that? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble, Dr. Karp. Um, I always say that <laughs> we are Switzerland in the mommy wars. Um, so we have taught we've had guests on who've co-slept for 
you know, oh my gosh, three years, seven years. Um, And for me, I had my daughter in the crib from day one um, with the new recommendation. We just had Jennifer Waldberger on from Sleepy Planet. Mm -hmm. And so she was talking about sleep learning and – and so we just were recently talking about the new guidelines about having your baby in your room. They're recommending now up at least six months and maybe up to a year, which kind of changes things because I'm not going to put the crib in my room. But I I couldn't handle the stress. I one time had an – I fell asleep. It was one of the rare times I was taking a nap. And um, I felt this warm little body at my legs under the covers. And I woke up and I freaked out and I ripped the covers off. Because I, I, in my weird sort of waking, I thought it was Sabrina and it was my little dog. And that was enough to freak mm-hmm. me out for life and be like, you know what, I'm not mm-hmm. going to – I personally can't risk it. Now, on the other hand, my husband, and I want, <laughs> I want you to tell him not to do this this round, he would doze off watching football with Sabrina on his chest because um, she mm-hmm. would take a nap on his chest on the couch. And I totally let that happen because it – you know, it looked adorable, and I got some peace. But then reading your book, I was like, oh, no, they can't do, like, their football yeah. naps anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, sleeping on the couch actually turns out to be considerably more dangerous than sleeping in a bed with a baby. Wow. So um, that's definitely on the verboten list. But um, the interesting thing for me about, about bed sharing and um, – or having the baby in bed with you, um, which a lot of people are told is a good thing because it encourages breastfeeding, which it can do, and that people around the world have always slept with their babies, which is true as well. Um, but the problem is that 3,700 babies die each year in the United States in their sleep during that first year of life. 70% of them die in an adult bed or an unsafe sleeping environment. And, um, and, Here's the kicker for me. If you ask, if you ask a mom, um, would you, would you ever bring the baby in bed with you if you were drunk? Um, and most moms will recoil in horror. Like, how could you even ask me that question? That's ridiculous. I would never, never do that. But then ask them, would you ever bring the baby in in bed with you if you were really tired? And they'll go, well, of course. I mean, I'm always tired. You know, I mean, that's just my life these days. Well. Like I said before, many studies show when you're tired, you're the equivalent of drunk. You're not responsible for what happens in bed with you. And I was at one um, conference on uh, infant sleep. And normally for the keynote speaker, you have a professor, some famous person is giving this, this keynote lecture to kind of kick off the whole conference. And at this conference, a mom from Ohio came to tell her story. And she said, you know, when I had my first baby, my pediatrician recommended that I keep the baby in bed with me, that it was the most natural, beautiful, supportive way of raising a baby. And she said, I did that. And I have to tell you, it was the most wonderful experience. I just loved it. I loved waking up with my baby. I could just reach over and nurse my baby. It made all the sense in the world. And so when I had my second baby, I spoke to my pediatrician again, and she said, again, this would be a great thing to do. And she said, again, it was the most wonderful experience. I can't begin to tell you how natural and right it felt, except when my baby was two and a half months, I woke up and my arm was over the baby's face and my baby was dead next to me. And 
she's not responsible for that. It's not that she's a bad mother. It's not that she had bad bedding there. She was not responsible because she was so deeply asleep. She was so exhausted that she didn't know she rolled over in her sleep. And that's the terrible tragedy of it all. So why not keep the baby right next to your bed, right next to your bed where you can have the baby there and feed the baby and do everything and meet your baby's needs in a second, but not take a risk with the baby, having the baby in bed with you. And that's one of the reasons that we feel so positively about Snoo, because this bed not only responds to the baby's needs and rocks the baby all night long, but keeps the baby by improving sleep. Parents are less tempted to do the wrong thing because a lot of moms will tell you kind of like you with filling out that depression scale score. A lot of moms will lie to their doctor and say, you know, of course I don't bring the baby in bed with me, but yes, they do because they just happen to fall asleep. They're so tired when they're nursing their babies, but they don't want to admit it because they know they're not supposed to do it. Right. Or they think that that's the only way that they can fall asleep. The baby will fall asleep with them, but it won't necessarily in their crib or bassinet, which is why your five S's are so important because moms seriously try it out. Do, you know, practice, 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 because then you can put your baby down um, I'm, I'm bummed out about the rock and play. I never had one for Sabrina, but that's a bummer to me too, that you're saying that they can't sleep in those at night. Can they sleep in a, in a swing during the day? No, there's no sleeping in, in swings, car seats, rock and plays, mama roos, all that kind of stuff. No sleeping? Because, <coughs> no, because their heads can kind of l- lull forward. And then they can have trouble breathing. So By the way, I will. We're, sh- we're scared of this. I should say, um, you and this is why this book is so great. I I just kept like thinking about um, that we should do like a little pop quiz on this podcast about like lessons Ellie learned from her guinea pig first kid because uh-huh. the the swing thing. I had a girlfriend bring over her swing and 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 Sabrina really loved it. And then she came up. My girlfriend came over another time and showed me how that you could raise it up so that the baby could be sitting more upright. I. Left it like that. I put Sabrina in the swing. I went to uh, the washing machine and dryer in the hallway, just so close by. By the time I put the stuff in the dryer and I came back into the living room, Sabrina's chin was like touching her chest. And I was so Mm. freaked out. And on it, like that Mm -hmm. was probably one of the scariest moments of parenting for me. So I'm so happy that you repeat again and again in the book that with these swings, that they must be reclined as much as possible. Right, right. And now even that, the Academy of Pediatrics came out and said that that's not safe. They need to be fully flat. And, they're sleeping, um, got it. and yeah, and that's one of the nice things about Snoo because Snoo is a fully flat swing. I mean, it rocks the babies or swings the babies, but keeps them in that safe position. So you don't have to ever worry about that. So um, that's the way I kind of look at it. I have two questions because I know we're running out of time. But I want to ask you about with the sound machine. We always had a box Mm -hmm. fan and it was super helpful. Um, And Mm -hmm. then our whole family got dependent on it, including Mm -hmm. (laughs) like my husband and me. Like we couldn't go to a hotel anymore uh, without feeling like it was way too quiet. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. at what point do you stop the sound machines? It works, so I, we did it. But then, you know, friends will be like, well, but now your kid ha- can only sleep if there's a sound machine. Right. So so there, there are kind of two types of sleep cues. 
cues that you can that are all or nothing or cues that you can do partially. So for example, nursing your baby to sleep. It's kind of like all or nothing. Um, you can't like half nurse your baby to sleep. Either they're nursing or they're not nursing. Um, on the other hand, um, and even a pillow. I mean, you can kind of partially reduce a pillow if you're used to a pillow by making a smaller and smaller, smaller pillow until you don't have a pillow anymore. <laughs> if you were wanting to or needing to wean yourself off of a pillow. Um, but I mean, you're in a situation now where you probably, you know, wherever you go to sleep, hotels, camping, whatever, you're probably going to bring a pillow with you because you're used to that. Is that a terrible thing in your life? No, not really. I mean, white noise is the same way. I sleep with white noise every night. And when I'm traveling, I bring my white noise with me. You can have it on your phone or your computer or things like that. And, um, and if you, but here's the cool thing about white noise is if you want to stop using it, you can just gradually reduce, reduce the sound over a couple of week period and just wean yourself off of it. Mm. Same thing with your child. They're going to go to summer camp and they're seven years old and they can't have white noise. You can Sabrina's wean them off bring of a it. box fan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> She'll give it a pet name or something. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, um, but here's the thing. Why not? If you have white noise, that is such a great cue. It helps babies sleep through teething and growth spurts and colds and loneliness and scary things when they worry about monsters and things like that later on. Why not mm -hmm. have this great sleep cue that you can use all the time? You know, why not let them sleep in a bed, even though, you know, you might go camping and they don't have a bed with them, you know, that, that they have to get used to not sleeping in a bed. So I recommend white noise forever, you know, for as long as you want to use it, at okay. least for the first year. Okay, great. Um, and um, this, the motion of the snoo, though, we wean off of it five or six months. And that's super easy. But then babies just don't need the, the rhythm, the rhythmic rocking anymore. But a, a three-month-old, a four-month-old still benefits to sleep, sleep better through it. And that's the final interesting thing about snoo, and, and I'm so glad you mentioned uh, Jennifer Wahlberger, because what happens with snoo is that we naturally sleep train babies. So you don't have to go through cry it out or, or these other types of difficult sleep training, because when you give babies the cues that they're naturally used to, they automatically, by two months, certainly by three months of age, they're sleeping seven, eight, nine hours straight. And when you wean them off of the snoo, they're just solid sleepers. They, they just can sleep with just the white noise, that is. They'll just be great sleepers, you know, all the way through, which not only makes your life easier, but it makes them healthier. It reduces yes. the risk of obesity and overweight. It makes them have a better mood and, 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 and it improves learning uh, capabilities as well. So there's lots of good reasons for trying to establish good sleep in the early months. Uh, in closing, because you're talking about sleep habits through throughout her lifetime, my three-and-a-half-year-old, she cries in the middle of the night. And last night, she co-slept with me. By the way, what age can they come back in bed with you? Like one, two? When's it safe again? Yeah, I would say over uh, nine to 12 months. Okay. And let me say, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of bed sharing with kids once they're old enough. I mean, our 33-year-old comes home, and I get kicked out of bed. She sleeps with my wife. So, oh, I mean, that's so I sweet. I think it's perfectly it's perfectly great to sleep with your kids. I love that. So um, my husband's not... out of town. And so my three and a half year old is sleeping with me right now. And yeah, okay, it's great. Cozy. That's good to know. It is very cozy and she sleeps much yeah. later. And then we'll have trouble next week when I kick her back out. But my she will wake up in the middle of the night crying. And 
um, I wasn't sure if it would just be that she would wake up in her room and um, be disoriented and want mom or dad to come in. But then last night when she was sleeping with me all night, it happened a couple times. And it's like she's coming out of a nightmare. And do you have any recommendations for that? Um, yes, believe it or not, not that white noise is the, is the solution for everything. Do you <laughs> use white noise with her? Just a box fan? But the box fan is not the most effective way of using sound. Okay, what do I You're get? much better off. Well, to be, to, I don't want to sound self-serving, but you should download our special white noise. Okay. Because it turns out that most white noise, especially played on your phone or a computer, which has a tinny little speaker, yeah. is too high-pitched. Mm-hmm. You need a combination of high and low pitch. And so our Happiest Baby White Noise is specially engineered um, to to amplify the low pitch sounds that are so important for promoting sleep. What do I play so you it may have on? Notice, you play. You can play it on on an iPad or a phone or okay. or a computer or things like that. But it's engineered so that you get more of that resonant low pitch sounds. You know how you fall asleep in a train, a plane, a car. Those mm-hmm. are more low pitch sounds that support sleep. Um, and oftentimes, if it's too high high pitched and tinkly, it actually can interfere with sleep. And to jump on this, because it's so important in your book, um, you talk about with the babies, especially downloading a sound meter app on your phone. And so you can tell like how loud the sound machine should be. And also, if we are doing it on our phone, um, don't have the phone near your baby's head. Okay, everybody, like just never have your phone near your baby's head. (laughs) And in fact, in fact, turn it on airplane mode. Brilliant. Then you don't have to worry about it being near the baby because then you've stopped the transmission. In my postpartum anxiety, uh, Dr. Karp, I got so mm-hmm. weird. Of course, I was like looking stuff up. <laughs> this is me. I'm nursing mm-hmm. Sabrina in the middle of the night. I'm looking up uh, the like the dangers of having my phone near my child, on my phone next to my child while I'm nursing. And then um, I got so weird. I got started freaking out about Wi-Fi. And I was like, should we not live mm-hmm. in a house with Wi-Fi? But, mm-hmm. um, well, airplane mode's You know something? I think that, you know, the anxieties do come up, and you're so, I think you're so generous sharing that with people because, <laughs> you know, it helps them to know when they have anxieties, it's not so normal. But, but, um, but, you know, Wi Fi is something I still think that we need to be careful and avoid excessive exposure. And in fact, with SNU, even though it has Wi Fi, number one, you can turn the Wi Fi off if you want. Um, oh, but number two, know. We've tested it that the baby's not exposed to the Wi-Fi or uh, is no more than really background levels. And then the other thing is we put in a metal shield that, that can block over 99% of any Wi-Fi anyway. So we're very attentive to that, and, and we want people to have absolute confidence that their baby is you know, protected um, and they, they don't have to worry about that in the middle of the night. That's amazing. Everybody stop falling asleep to apps with your phone next to your pillow. Um, and same for your children. And and I love the airplane mode suggestion as well. Yeah. Um, Dr. Carp, so much more to talk to you about some other time. Uh, thank you so, so much for coming on Atomic Moms. I feel much more confident bringing this new little girl into this world uh, now that I've spoken to you. Well, it's been a pleasure, Ellie. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Have a great July 4th week, everybody. Until next time, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms.